Welcome to season four of our podcast, Nature Bounce, brought to you by Go Jauntly, a walking, wayfinding, and nature connection app available for free on the App Store and the Play Store. Nature Bounce is hosted by me, Hannah Such, co founder and CEO at Go Jauntly. This podcast is an opportunity for us to banter and share learnings and insights with you and a series of truly inspirational people we've met on our journey. We'll talk green living nature, walking, well-being, and more. If you like what you hear, please do rate and subscribe to the whole series. Go Journey is an everyday walking app designed to inspire you to walk more and get out and about in enjoying nature. Whether you stomp, roam, ramble, hike, or wander, we have unlimited walking trails for you to enjoy. You can download our free walking app and enjoy your very own pocket-sized encyclopedia of urban walks. Search Go Jointly on your app store. On today's episode, we'll be chatting to Paddy Loffman. He's a former actor and Extinction Rebellion spokesperson and now strategist focusing on the narratives and communications of biodiversity, climate action and climate change. He's worked with a wide range of groups, including the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change as a UN climate champion, and is a co-founder of the Reset Narratives community and co-author of Stories for Life. Hey, Paddy, welcome to the show. Hi, Hannah. Thank you for having me. It's I'm so a pleasure to, be to have here. you. Yeah, um, I remember we had like a conversation a few months ago and the world kind of felt different and it's kind of evolved since then. But you stuck in my mind because of all of the amazing work you do can you share a little bit about your background please yes absolutely thank you um it depends how far we go back (laughs) I'm not going to give you I don't need to know where you were born (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's probably going too far um well I currently what I'm doing is I'm working as uh, an independent strategist um across a, quite a re- wide range of different things with, a, I suppose, an emphasis on the role of communications in different forms um, and with a fairly kind of general focus on the climate crisis and the sort of associated crises um, that sit around that. Um, I started off with all of that um, actually training as an actor when I was very young um, and then was a writer for a bit. I then needed a plan B from that, which, um, as I've since discovered and was told at the time, is how to stop acting. Um, uh, and I found my way into market research and corporate innovation, um, which was a very interesting space to be in. Uh, learned a lot there, went into brand consulting once I really started to get concerned about um, the climate situation, which was after 2015 and the uh, Paris Agreement. Um, I really wanted to understand how to put ideas in the world that change things. Um, so I went to an organization called Wolf Olins, uh, where I was for a few years. And then in 2019, my kind of awareness and understanding of the situation uh, got really kicked into action by Extinction Rebellion Greta and reading um, uh, The Uninhabitable Earth. And that really sort of woke me up to the urgency of what's going on. So I left the world of brand consulting and uh, started working as, a, as an activist, as a speaker, particularly for Extinction Rebellion, inside that industry of marketing and communications. And then from there, really just started sort of exploring. Um, 
it was a real you know jump to make in many ways quite a difficult one um and i just sort of wandered around for a while joining campaigns um working with different people starting to sort of identify people who are on a similar journey to myself uh, and then picking up different bits of uh work and and you know efforts as i was doing so that led me to working with the un high level climate champions um uh, which meant being involved in COP26 quite closely um, and seeking to oh. act, activate business in particular and finance and civil society in that process. Um, and that was, that was really fascinating. I learned a great deal uh, during that. Um, and then other pieces of work, the Reset Narratives community um, was occurring alongside that, which was an effort to gather folk who work on comms, work in comms, with comms, um, from climate, new economy, and social justice spaces to sort of come together and help those different efforts encounter one another, learn from each other, work out how we can all sort of hold hands, um, try and orchestrate a bit of a symphony in the situation rather than what is often cacophony, um, and take us all in a sort of similar direction towards a fairer, greener world, etc. Um, and then another effort called Stories for Life, which is looking at the role that these that narratives play in defining our uh, understanding of the world that we're in and how we therefore shape it. And in particular, how these narratives that we carry today have helped us design an economic system that is really the root cause of what's happening with the climate. So that's that's a sort of brief overview, I guess. Um, or in awe, like I've written so many oh. notes while you were chatting. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't express like how in awe I am, like, there's so much stuff that you've done and I, I love that you started out as an actor and then mm. turned, went from actor to activist like in one mm. <laughs> it's like a really good transition we need more actors I think to turn into activists um, a, yeah there are quite a few actually and and to be fair to me like that or I didn't quite make that step as immediately as that and there are some brilliant uh uh actors the activists out there but um but thank you you're very kind <laughs> um are you thinking like Leonardo DiCaprio or someone else there's a, there's a guy called Fahinti Belagun who's who's brilliant uh, on this front um but yeah Leo is an interesting one um he was one I remember really early on talking to friends when I was starting to get concerned about climate and I would say you know what look at what Leonardo DiCaprio is sort of saying like do what, what do we think about that and they said well great but he flies around in private jets the whole time so I, I don't think he has much credibility to say things and that's a sort of that's a, one of the challenges in the whole picture is being able to challenge and seek to change the system whilst continuing to exist within it um we're all hypocrites in that regard and having to accept that is quite important and difficult it's really yeah. difficult and really important um, yeah. especially like i guess with the rise of things like extinction rebellion just stop oil mm. like most people or trolls i'm never sure if they're real people or trolls first <laughs> <laughs> like first first thing is like oh but you're tweeting on a smartphone mm -hmm. or you're driving a car and it's just like in a way we kind of need to get past that because like you said we're like living in the system and we need to use the tools to be able to live and thrive but also to be an activist and uh yeah, yeah it's very irritating when that's yeah. said because it's yeah. like yeah I know yeah and it's it's just uh you know, there's a good bit of guidance on this, actually, from a, an organization called On Road Media, um, who I'm working with at the moment, actually, uh, on, an, on a particular project to do with messaging this moment and cost of living and climate and how they interact. But they, they released some guidance recently um, 
And one, they su suggested a response to that kind of challenge when, when, it, when it's presented. And it's, you know, something along the lines of, well, you know, I would love to be driving an, an electric car um, if someone challenges you that you're driving a normal car, let's say. But, you know, I can't afford to. And like millions of other Britons, people in the world, I would love to be able to, to live in a more healthy way. But our systems don't allow that. So we need to change them. And when you start to sort of pivot the attention away from the individual and towards the systemic situation and the fact that collectively we can challenge and change that system, that's when it starts to become powerful. Um, because our current ideology and our current uh, system is dependent on us thinking of ourselves as individuals. Um, and really, you know, modern science uh, rejects that concept in that sense. Um, we aren't, I mean, we are individuals, but we aren't atomized in that way. We are part of a web of life and we have to operate in that way to be able to kind of exist really. Um, as someone put it beautifully, we don't exist, we coexist. Um, so yeah, challenging those those challenges to people's, you know, hypocrisy, let's say, um, really starts with us accepting that we are part of something broader and bigger and that by acknowledging that we can start to change it together. I love that. Thank you. There's so many things that you've said that have meant that all the original questions I had that we thought of shared before, <laughs> I kind of want to discard them. And I want to just dive straight into some of the amazing other stuff it. you said. Okay, cool. As long as you don't mind, like throwing you no, in the no, weekend. Cool. Yeah. Um, do you think businesses are doing enough? Because I know you mentioned like being involved with COP26. Mm. And obviously COP, I mean, the fact that we're on number 26 is like kind of... Mm -hmm scary and mm. cop 27's coming up like what more do you think businesses could be doing and also do you think that actually in a way some of them are leading the way a bit yeah that's a great question um i mean what what we tried to do um the effort i was involved in for cop 26 which became known as uh the race to zero um, and the accompanying campaign race to resilience those were efforts to gather the sort of best efforts that were already ongoing from business um put them under a sort of singular banner a singular direction um and to unite those those efforts in, in with the intention of putting pressure on the state actors the, the governments that are in are the focus of that uh climate uh process the the UNFCCC process the Paris agreement process the COP process um so that that was uh that was a really fascinating process because what we what we discovered of course is that there are lots of people doing you know quote unquote good things um making major commitments some of them following through on them um but it, in order to do what was is really required of the situation even if you just look at it from an emissions reduction point of view and we shouldn't because that's limited we need to embrace the wider set of problems that we're in in particular uh, biodiversity loss um in order to uh, just focus on, on emissions, though, you're, you're having to demand a lot from, from make, particularly major businesses in terms of what they have to do. Um, so the target, of, of course, of staying under 1.5, which scientists now say is not just not possible, um, that would require us to halve global emissions by 2030. And that would put enormous pressure on businesses to do that. So what, what happened in, with Race to Zero is a lot of businesses joined, a lot of businesses signed up to it far more in fact than, than we anticipated doing so through things like b corp and uh, science-based targets initiative um, and the other structures that were being put in place to place these demands on businesses um 
but the limitation of it ultimately um, is a that what, what is being asked of businesses is very difficult um, b that there is no transparency in the system in the situation um, so although people can make these commitments and make these pledges uh, they aren't really beholden to them there's no there's no a there's no transparency and then c so b there's no transparency and then c there's no legal or regulatory framework to enforce that they actually do these things yeah um and and at that the transparency and the lack of regulation basically leads to a situation where you have a sort of uh what what gets called a multiplayer prisoner's dilemma right oh god where, yeah, it sounds fun, where you have like a race to the bottom, right? Because an organization will publicly say, I'm doing this, uh, you know, I commit to this. But then in the background, in the opacity where people can't see what's happening, they will then do the thing that uh, provide, provides immediate benefit. Because um, the long-term thing, the long-term commitment is, you know, long-term good, but immediately requires some investment, let's say, or some you know, challenging things to be done. Um, and that leads to a situation where then everybody has to assume that everybody else is doing that and therefore has to do it themselves or they'll lose out. So you have this sort of level of people making commitments and saying all these big, bold things about net zero and we're, we're cutting this and that and the other, but then in the background, not necessarily following through on it. And in a way, that's not their fault because, the, because in the system, there isn't the transparency. There isn't therefore the level playing field that would encourage everybody to actually follow through on what they're doing. And unless you get to a place where you have that transparency and you have the regulation and you have the, the legal structures, legislative structures in place to enforce it, um, we're kind of a bit stuck. Um, and we're seeing this, you know, we're, we're going to be seeing this more and more play out as, as big organizations struggle to meet these very demanding targets Yeah. Um, because so many others can just essentially cheat. And it's kind of, from what you're saying it sounds kind of beyond greenwashing in a way mm -hmm. it's like they have the intention and they have the will and they want to do the right thing it's just like capacity or availability of product services to to kind of allow that to happen and a whole load of other stuff probably like silos and all cash everything really yeah yeah and it's it, it fundamentally though the challenge is um, uh, the, the system is organized according to essentially perverse incentives. And when I say system, I mean the sort of the economic system um, and the set of systems that are sort of enabled by that or attached to that. Um, you know, we have, we have an economic system that prioritizes uh, gross domestic product growth, right? So GDP growth. Uh, GDP doesn't care about what creates the growth, provided it creates the growth. So war, um, creates growth uh, pollution spills creates growth in fact double growth because first you grow by creating the pollution and then secondly you grow by uh, cleaning it up uh, you know illegal drugs all, all sorts of um, things that aren't good for us grow gdp a tree is worth more dead than alive according to gdp yeah and really... yeah oh, sorry i was gonna say it's quite warped isn't it <laughs> Yes, it's <laughs> exactly. It's like all of these examples. It's so warped. And I know that there's quite a lot around system change. I read Donut Economics mm. by Kate Raworth, and I really loved that. And I also read that book that you recommended to me, Citizens by John Alexander, mm. which I actually felt really positive and, and full of hope. But there is this thing whereby it feels like system change is the only 
thing that's probably going to push us out of it. And I can't help but sometimes think, unless there's like a catastrophic event happening or happens rather, then that might not happen. But I know that's kind of a bit doomerist and it isn't meant to be like that. It's just that it feels like in history or whatever, like things have happened that have led to kind of positive things. I guess it links back to what we were saying about activist groups like Extinction Rebellion. But anyway, I'm going to try mm. and wrap that up and get to the point is like, do you think it's about degrowth? And and and, and I know that's problematic for lots of people as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, fundamentally, when you look at the reality of the situation, we are using too much energy um, and we are using kind forms of energy that are putting too much pressure on our systems through emissions and other pollutions um, and therefore heating. Um, uh, and we are using too, ma too many of our resources, right? We, we go through to the earth overshoot point about you know, midway through the year or, or even earlier, which means that for half of the year, we're using stuff that we don't actually have. Um, so we're sort of, we're, we're living beyond our means. So that, that, is, that is basically a terminal condition. Like if we continue using that amount of energy and that amount of materials, then we, we will collapse completely. Um, we will exhaust what's available to us and, and it will all fall apart. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a challenge with what we call the sort of the green shift or the renewable shift or the transition to renewable energy, let's say, which is that the materials we need to achieve that, to achieve the building of these renewable technologies, wind and solar and so on, uh, as well as the carbon drawdown technologies, the things that will take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, they, they need materials. And in order to meet our targets, according to the International Energy Agency, uh, we would need six times the current amount of materials that we're using in order to meet those targets and continue growing in the same rate, at the same rate. And we literally do not have those on the face of the earth which is why you hear people talking about asteroid mining and you hear people talking about deep sea mining and this kind of thing. Um, so what that reveals is that we, we really must, we, it's sort of, it's sort of uh, uh, unavoidable that we have to scale down our consumption of energy and our consumption of materials. And that is of course what degrowth as a concept is basically talking about. The problem with degrowth is that it sounds terrible and terrifying to a culture and a set of systems that has been, completely led by growth for such a long time. And we tend to think of growth just as positive. We're sort of growing up. We are, you know, that's that's how things get better. We grow as people. It's, it's a very kind of established uh, story for us. Of course, there is the option. We should rebrand it to regrowth. Well, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, regrowth. I mean, another, uh, there are sort of things like post-growth and so on. But yeah, well, bas yeah, basically what is missing is that is that more sort of positive description. And everything we know mm -hmm. from comms is that if, uh, if you want people to sort of move forward to something, if you want people to make significant change, it really has to be towards something positive. Um, and that has to come from an understanding of the existing situational thing that moving away from being negative. But without the positive, it, it does become doomist. It does become fatalist. And there's a great uh, quote that I carry around a lot and has helped me in everything I do, I suppose, um, from a guy called Rick Ingraski, which is, if you want to change the world, throw a better party. I and love get that. Into... <laughs> it's good, isn't it? So good. And there's some, you know, there's a lot of other sort of similar things that have been said over time. Um, but there's, there's something so true in that and also so challenging about it. 
you know, throwing that better party means doing something quite different and getting people to it means people understanding that it's better uh, and also also understanding that where they are isn't good. And all of those are communications challenges. They're sort of uh, trauma processing challenges. There's a lot, there's a lot of work, uh, community building and so on that needs to go in to the process of building and getting to that, that better party. But when you, when you ask that question of, uh, systems change how do we do that sounds scary it is scary like you know change means loss to people so unless it is is framed as this sort of journey of improvement journey to something better um it can be very off-putting and particularly when people um you know are kind of bedded into a particular system and benefiting from it there's uh oh i'm gonna forget his name now um but there's a very very famous quote that is it's difficult to get someone to understand something if their salary depends on them not understanding it and you know that's very true in this picture, and it's more than salary. It's identity. It's um, you know story of themselves going forward. It's status. All of these things hold people in the current system, and it can be quite difficult to imagine something different or uh, accept that something different might be better if it means having to make that change. But fundamentally, yeah. that is the effort we have to make: is to help create something better and work towards that together. Um, and it's only through doing that that we'll, we'll really make the profound changes that need to be made. I don't know about you, but I get really excited when I hear stuff like that. Like that <laughs> feels like full of hope for me because yeah. like right now, you know, there's lots going on in the news and it doesn't it, it doesn't feel energ- <laughs> it's like far from energizing. Mm. It's gone from deeply worrying to absolutely terrifying <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. in a few days. So for me like this concept of like I don't know circular economy carbon tax uh better relationship with nature um new ways of doing business like it feels really exciting and I don't know if it's just because that's the person I am but it just feels hopeful because we can see all the changes like happening right in front of our eyes it's obvious and in our pockets and all of this kind of stuff but actually looking at it from a new perspective a new narrative like what you said I think it's like galvanizing yeah, it, it it is galvanizing. You're absolutely right, and I think the the in a way the task is to carry that hope actively. Um, and someone once put it as you know hope hope is um, it's hope with its sleeves rolled up, right? Uh, hope as a discipline. Um, yeah, and, and that's that's very much what we are sort of trying to uh, or having to sort of try and affect at the moment um, to make uh, make that hope. Uh, and the scenarios that can be, re- you know, released and, and made possible by us pursuing them, very convincing and, and very attractive. And there's another quote from uh, Tony Cade Bambara, an activist, who says, the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. And um, again, similar to the Better Party quote, and it, 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 again, it reveals just how important that that step is. And for anyone who is a creative or who is a storyteller or who is a you know, whether they're doing that commercially or, um, you know, within sort of big advertising companies, for example, there's an enormous role for, for us all to play there in, in coming together to help everyone collectively imagine and seek out these these better better options, these better ways of living, many of which are already there. They're already happening yeah. in the world. They uh-huh. just need to spread further and get more energy. And that's happening, which is hopeful, which is exciting. One point to make here that, that I think is really crucial Um in, in response to things like uh, degrowth and these other alternative 
sort of ways of being, these bits of the different party. Um, it, what often happens is people will come across those things and they'll say, oh yeah, that sounds great. Right? That sounds like a good idea, but it's just politically impossible. Right? There's no way we're ever going to make that happen. It's just, it just can't happen. It's not going to happen. And, and the problem with that is, uh, is that it's understandable as a response, right? It's understandable mm -hmm. because, you know, making this kind of change is, is very difficult. Um, but the thing to really notice is that what those ideas or those designs or those um, uh, systems are connected to is, is reality. So they are based on an understanding of where we actually are and what actually needs to happen. So we, we need them to happen to some extent, right? And the challenge is, yes, rightly, that they are politically difficult, but politics can change and politics is driven by perception. Politics is driven by culture. We can't change reality, right? We can't, we can't sort of go in and change the situation that would mean that those, those the analysis that's carried by something like degrowth or, or the suggestions for what we need to organize ourselves around instead, um, uh, we, we can't change the, the fact that those things are true. So, but what we can change is the political reality that makes them possible. So that's, that's where our attention needs to be. And that's again, where narrative change and storytelling and all of these things play a really important role because they help to change the, the circumstances, the perception that will allow us to then uh, go towards, make these upgrades um, and get us on that better, better path. But that's it is a really it is a really critical point, and it's one that that I often encounter, and it's it's again totally understandable. But we have to accept that there is a reality we are in, and it's very difficult to change that reality. But we can change our response to it, and that's the thing that we need to focus on doing. Hi, it's Shane here. A walk I've been checking out recently is the Exeter Green Circle. It's a 12-mile circular route around Exeter, crossing through beautiful valley parks and leafy suburbs. It looks like it'd be a perfect route to tackle on a weekend trip, so I might head out there this spring to try it. Check it out in the app, Exeter Green Circle. Today, the feature I want to highlight is walking challenges. If you haven't tried these out yet, it's a great way to encourage healthy habits. There are a lot of different challenges to choose from, from daily walks to Walk 2023, you can sign up for free, unlock badges as you go, and celebrate your walking wins. Give it a try now, in-app. Have you got any other sort of stories of hope you can share? I mean, you've shared so many already, but have you got any more? Yeah, I mean, I think the... Um, uh, well, the th you mentioned already citizens. That's a really good collection of, of very hopeful uh, things that are going on. Uh, examples of the better party being thrown around the place. Um, there are uh, there are lots, lots and lots of efforts all over the place that are sort of starting to demonstrate these different ways of being. Um, I'm going to struggle to remember the name of it, but there's another there's another group that is doing a similar thing. But what the, to be honest, the, the thing that is most hopeful for me about this moment is how similar it is to a previous moment in history, um, which is um, when we had, um, so it, it, I think it was in 1543, if I get it right, um, there was the, the world's understanding at the time 
or rather the West, what was the Westish, kind of, you know, what we now know as the West, the understanding at the time was that the Earth was in the middle of the universe, right? That was, we were in the center. We were the sort of the priority. Um, and then Copernicus comes along and he's been looking at this and observing, you know, the situation. And he says, well, actually, no, I think, I think the sun's in the middle. I think that that seems to be what's going on. And actually all these other people who have thought this for thousands of years, uh, you know, they've carried this understanding of the sun being in the middle for a long time. And the power at the time said, uh, no, that's wrong. Those people are heathen. They're backwards. You know, they don't know what they're talking about. And neither do you. Uh, so we're going to ban your book and you're not going to be able to share this perspective. And then about 50 years later, uh, the famous Galileo comes along and he proves that uh, that what Copernicus was suggesting is actually accurate using yeah. the science they had at the time. And he gets arrested right? and he gets put away and nothing, nothing comes of that. Um, it takes then a further 50 years, so uh, 1680 something, um, for that understanding to permeate and to become accepted by the mainstream culture for basically science to become uh, unignorable and the power has to accept that it is different. And basically the hopeful thing is that we are in a very similar moment right now to that moment. Mm. And we're quite far along in that hundred years, if you like. So our understanding um, is that, you know, the, the individual is in the middle, right? Or um, the, we as a human species are like the most important. We're separate to nature. We're sort of dominant over nature. We can control it. Um, we can exploit it at will and to, to our heart's content and sort of limitlessly. That has led to systems like an economy based on GDP, yeah. which destroys nature because it sees it as a sort of, uh, you know, collateral damage, right? It doesn't recognize the value of it in, in its calculations. Um, and it's led to us living very individualistic cultures and, you know, um, quite kind of competitively and so on. What's happening right now, much like with Galileo, is that our modern science is revealing that that is wrong. Our modern science is revealing that that story about ourselves, which has its roots all the way back to Plato, um, is inaccurate. And actually, what is accurate is a story or a narrative of who we are that many cultures have carried for a long, 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 long time, that we live in a state of interconnection, that we aren't separate from each other in the world, but we are interconnected with it. And that we live in this interbeing, entangled, integrated whole um, and that the fact that science is telling us that means that uh, what that understanding is now essentially unavoidable, yeah. and we are therefore on a in somewhat inevitable trajectory towards gradually culture accepting that, and then politics and our systems having to follow suit. The task, if you like, is to help that emergence happen faster. Um, I like all... being given a task. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, and it's a crucial task, right? Because we, we, we're all, everything we do all the time as people, as communicators, as storytellers, whatever it is that we're doing, we are either reinforcing the inaccurate narrative of who we are, or we are seeking to establish this new one, this, this ancient one, really, but this story that is now coming through from our science that we are you know, interconnected and so on. Um, and so we all have a role to play in in helping make this fundamental paradigm shift towards this world where we accept and acknowledge our interconnectedness 
and design our systems accordingly. Uh, and we design ecological economic systems, which is what degrowth is sort of connected to, um, that recognize that nature is the source of all value and that the economy is a part of that, is within that. Yeah. And if it doesn't acknowledge that, then it can't function and the whole thing falls apart as is currently happening. And so that for me is that for me is extremely hopeful because um, we're no longer in the dark in terms of understanding. And we really do understand what is going on. We understand how we've got to here. Uh, and we understand really what needs to happen next. This sort of um, situation that, that's our science today, the thing that is our channel for truth, the thing that you know, people do listen to and sort of accept as, as accurate um, is telling us that we profoundly need to change and that we have essentially had a slightly mistaken understanding of who we are and how we should be relating to the world and can therefore back up, if you like, these new designs that have come through that we can upgrade to and these new systems that we need to change to. And I think talking about it as design upgrades is a really good way of, you know, yeah. it's a better part of party throwing because it it's true. Like This is what we're doing. We're upgrading ourselves. We're evolving to uh, a, a state of existence that is better in tune with how the world actually works and how best we can thrive in it. Um, and that, that is very exciting. It's very hopeful. Um, and it's, again, it's sort of inevitable like that, the, the process of that science becoming understood and more broadly understood as we go forward and connecting to the ancient wisdom, the indigenous wisdom in many cases that has carried that understanding for a very long time. And we've been dismissive of it in our culture is, is enormously powerful in terms of potential to unite us as well in this moment as we, carry forward into that united state of, of sort of interbeing so, yeah. so yeah that that's that's very hopeful and lots of the stories that you could point to of the kinds of things emerging like uh, even something like civic square in birmingham which is brilliant brilliant effort well really carrying this understanding of of how we how we can best thrive together in a sort of reciprocal relationship with the world that we're in and each other um, and start to put that into practice and sort of practical reality in a way that will just gradually draw more energy, more attention as it's shown to be much better. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a hopeful moment. And you, again, you see the failure of the old ideology trying to cling on with what's just happened in this, in this country and the, you know, the imposition of extreme versions of that ideology, the sort of yeah. neoliberal perspective and it, it failing immediately. I mean, that that's, that's that's a big part of the journey here. People recognizing that that doesn't work anymore, and that we need to do different things. I love that um, hopeful kind of summary of where we are. All mm. of these years, we're like getting to that point where it's undeniable. The evidence is there. the The potential is there for great things. And I love the concept of sort of like upgrading our design um, mm. as a <laughs> as a designer. That really um, that really resonates. Mm. So I just wanted to pick up on a couple of things that we were talking about earlier. Um, mm -hmm. it, just for the listeners, we're coming up to like the end of September when this episode is being recorded. And we're about to move into a stage where there are lots of um, protests expected. Just Stop Oil want to occupy Westminster. There is Enough is Enough, which is gaining ground. Um, don't pay UK due to the high energy prices. Do you think there's anything that we need to worry about in terms of like things that are bubbling up 
I keep hearing the term eco-fascism um, cropping up and, and mm. I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> it sounds awful, but then also conscious that we we do need to we do need to progress and there are still many 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 people in society who don't have a, a good relationship with nature it feels yeah. like there's there's still quite a lot to do like have you got anything to sort of help explain that or have you come across any of that in the narrative work that you've been doing yeah definitely um uh just just i want to just check that i understand exactly what what you want to go go into there but um um so we're looking at this sort of picture of these different bits of different bits of resistance, really, and different bits of sort of uh, of action design that are designing themselves to try and challenge the situation and try and yeah. get us on a better better trajectory, yeah. in particular in relation to nature. Yeah, I mean, there's one one of the sort of one of the big risks, I suppose, in this moment is that what what ends up happening is we fall into the trap that is being set by these forces that are currently in power in this country or currently behind the power in this country um, and in other countries around the world. Um, and we, and that trap is that, that we start a culture war, we start a, or rather we join a, a class war. Um, that, that is what these powers want. Um, they want to, to get us fighting. They want to get us fighting them. They want to get us fighting ourselves. Um, they want to divide and conquer as much as they can because they know that's how they can cling on to power in their positions. Uh, you know, forms of fascism are emerging in all sorts of places and arguably in our government right now. And yeah. fascism thrives on conflict. It depends on it. Um, it depends on conflict in order to justify itself as a sort of power that is then, you know, running and fighting that conflict and sort of looking after people in, in the process. Um, so we need to resist that very strongly. And the best way to do that is by coming together and uniting as much as possible and recognizing that we have more in common than we do uh, different. And that, that, that is uh, not easy to do, but it's, it's absolutely what needs to happen in this moment. We need to make sure that as we are, you know, rightly standing up to these kinds of uh, powers, these kinds of systems and seeking to change them, that we are doing so uh, in, in as much unison as possible in what I yeah what I would sort of describe as a as a symphony rather than a cacophony, so that we can reach as many people as possible, bring as many people together as possible, um, heal as many people as possible in the process, and sort of give people that that space of feeling connected to each other and feeling involved in something that has meaning and, and a sense of belonging in the process, um, and therefore to be able to 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 build a kind of power, a liberatory power that can stand up to this dominating power that is currently trying to control the situation i think you did a really good job of trying to answer my really random question but no, I, it's not random. Uh, um, i think it's because it's just this feels like there's so much stuff happening right mm. now and i'm actually hopeful uh, with all this like this kind of concept of the movement of movements i feel mm. like that's exactly what we need right now exactly. and i really hope that it all kind of plays out in a good way I don't know what the right adjective is to use for that <laughs> but in a way that makes change happen yes yeah and again that the, the the only way that that will happen is through you know coordination uh working together uh, I mean like a, a good example of it is is in Australia you know they they basically managed to stand up to a similar kind of power that was yeah. you know lying all over the place and you know serving the interest of a very tiny minority 
um, and extracting wealth at the expense of everybody else and the natural world um, and in a very short-termist way. And what happened there was, you know, a coalition of, of efforts came together and they, they presented a different normative order, a better party essentially, and said, look, this is, we can do this instead. We all agree, this is what we all want. We don't, we don't want to be, you know, living in this world that these people are trying to design for us. We, we want to live in this world. We, we know all that, so let's go do it. And it was just, it, it worked, you know, yeah. it brought people together and it brought people together in that shared understanding, that shared value set. Um, again, we have more in common we are artificially divided most of the time. And the divides we are fighting over are often manufactured for one reason or another, typically because the perverse incentives of our systems of both economy and politics um, rely on us being divided and fighting each other. Like for example, social media systems that um, get more money from rage-fueled clicks. Um, so having people fighting each other serves their business model. And in a way, that's not their fault to some extent, because it's the system's incentives. And that's where we need to be addressing our attention and putting energy to change things. Um, but yeah, to, to overcome those divisions um, is, is a really big part of this. And to recognize, as I say, uh, that it's together that we'll be able to stand up. Yeah, I love that. So how can people follow your work or stay in touch with you? Uh, that's that's a good question. I mean, the... the the Reset Narratives community is currently on hiatus and um, will be starting up again soon. Um, so there's, uh, there's a website for that and there's a newsletter that I was sending out for that. That's one way. Um, I don't tend to use social media um, uh, in terms of posting things. So I, I, I look for things uh, um, using social media, but I don't tend to post. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn if you want to reach out to me. That's probably the best way. Um, uh, I do have an Instagram and I do have a Twitter, but as I say, I don't really um, sort of put things there. Um, and also Stories for Life, the website for that, stories.life, um, that has uh, a contact form if you're interested in knowing more about that work or, um, yeah, getting involved somehow. Um, that's something we're in the process of evolving and thinking about, you know, experiential learning journeys around and that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, you can find me in lots of places. <laughs> that was perfect. A great summary. And I really am going to take away the symphony, not cacophony, because I think that is a really, really good way of kind of sorting through everything that's going on in, in the world and bringing everything together. I think, yeah, I've actually left this conversation really, really inspired. Thank you so much, Paddy. Honestly. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. the Go Jointly app to find curated walks based on your location. Simple photo guides help you navigate, while nifty tips point out things of interest, hidden gems and places to eat. Walking challenges have been designed to help motivate you to walk more, from distance challenges to daily steps challenges. The choice is yours. You can download the app for free on the App Store or the Play Store. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Nature Bands. Don't forget to rate it and subscribe to the whole series. If you like what you've heard today, please do share this episode with your family and friends. 
Nature Bounce was brought to you by Go Jointly, a free multi-award winning walking, wayfinding and nature connection app. To find out more, please visit gojointly.com and discover a world of outdoor adventure on your doorstep and beyond. <laughs>